0: listening to episode 248 of sci-fi tv rewatch my name is dave and i'm joined as always by my co-host wayne as we return to our analysis of joss whedon's dollhouse on this may 1st and finally feeling a little bit like spring today oh my god the first i think it's the first time this year i got to sit there watching a lacrosse game not freezing my rear end off Oh I so was nice. See, I figured you were gonna tell me no, no game today, and I don't know what the weather's like tomorrow. Actually I think it's supposed to be nice again tomorrow. So Yeah, we might have finally we might have finally arrived there. Well we'll see. I hope so. Cut the lawn today for the third time and it's looking good. <laughs> All right, anyway, before we do what we actually we've gotten a lot better over the you know, last year or so about keeping things short and getting to the point. So, uh, yeah. But as always, Wayne and I want to remind you, love to hear from you, whether email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com, go to the website, leave a voicemail if you'd like, record your own audio clip if you'd like, tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch. But as always, I think the best way is to join the Facebook group and join the discussions there. All right. Uh, as far as our Patreon account, hey, tonight, just thank you everybody for uh, you know, chipping in, and we really appreciate it. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So okay. no news, but we'll go right to the tip of the week. Which and must be good news. It is good news. All right. So for me, uh, you know, I- I've been mentioning about my – fascination with spanish netflix and and of course it's it's available on netflix us and you've probably heard me mention that my wife and i watched cable girls which is a story of four young women working for the fledgling spanish telephone company in the 1920s now we're nearing the end of close to 70 episodes of grand hotel another period piece that takes place 1906 1907 in fact I was going to say I'm not sure how I feel about this, but I know how I feel about it. Eva Longoria is going to make a pilot to bring this story to the U.S. audience. Now, look, Eva Longoria plays a great third base, she hits well, always has put a hurting on the she, Orioles. A, but oh wait, oh. oh oh, I'm sorry, that's Evan Longoria. Um <laughs>
1: I thought you. I thought you'd speak. I thought you were doing a metaphor there. I got gotcha. you.
0: <laughs> but you know, really, I mean. Are, are we out of original ideas? I guess that's where we are as a creative industry in, in television. because And that's com- like creative with like quotation marks around it. Uh, anyway. but my pick neither of those two, although they're both great. Another Spanish Netflix show, which, admittedly, I've only seen the first episode, "El Ministerio de Tiempo," Ministry of Time." And we, we didn't nail the Spanish pronunciation there, buddy. Yeah, for not taking Spanish, I think I did okay. I, you know, it's funny <laughs> because we watch all of these Spanish shows with subtitles on and, and the original Spanish language. You, you know, you're, I'm starting to pick up bits and pieces here and there. I can impress my sister in law, who's Venezuelan, next time I see her. Uh, nice. prob- probably not. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> or not. But Ministry of Time. So, what, what you have is this covert spanish governmental organization that basically is protecting the timeline and it is a time travel show you've got a team of three a female who's in charge she's the brains one of the guys is a a soldier who's coping with his wife's death a few years prior sound familiar yeah, well, you said it on uh, Facebook, so yeah, I'll let you no, keep going no, with it. no wonder timeless. <laughs> but yeah. but there are fundamental differences, <clears throat> and I thought it was pretty good. I again, it's going to be one of those shows for me that I'll I'll jump to when I get a chance here and there. I I can't see having time to devote every day or every other day to knocking out an episode, but it's pretty good. I, I definitely want to get back to it, and I'd recommend you you know taking a shot, especially if you're a time travel fan. I'm talking to you, Michael R. Uh, all right, what do you got?
1: Um, so I said last week I, I meant it to, to be my pick of the week, and I totally bailed on. So I'm going to go back to Westworld as my pick of the week. Though so I think I'm just going to stick with maybe uh, episode one of season two. Um, I know there's been some discussion. I know Elena was pretty critical of episode two, which I liked episode two, but I kind of see where she's what she's talking about as it is much very slow-paced, a lot of backstory going on and and um yeah they're still you know they're still playing with time, like showing us different time zones all at once, except whereas in season one we didn't realize it was different time periods and we just thought Jimmy Simpson's character was you know in the park at the same time as the man in black and everything now we we we're not gonna get fooled this time, and so now we know obviously well, of course, because we know you know. Like because they brought Jimmy Simpson back and and uh, Ben, some of the camera who plays Logan, yeah, we know that. Oh, this is the past. Now we're talking about everything. Um, So still great though. I'm I'm like, I know you're not necessarily a big fan of Westworld, but uh, I really liked season one. Season two so far is uh, looking pretty strong, especially uh, the first episode, which I watched that twice. It was good.
0: Well, you know, what's interesting for me is that I really did like season one. I looked forward to watching it each week, and and I don't really think I felt far behind during season one. But for whatever reason, in the interim waiting for season two, I just really never felt that excitement. And I would read a story uh, about, you know, what we might expect, and it really just didn't get me excited And, uh, of course, I read Elena's post, as you mentioned, and and some others, and it almost sounds as if there are two camps that are really digging it and those that are finding it a little slow. And I know somebody on the Facebook group said, well, there's nothing wrong with a slower pace. Uh, Absolutely. And eventually I'm going to get to it. They're building up on my DVR. So, you know, I, I can't really say one way or the other at this point about season two.
1: Yeah. Well, I am, I am, put me solidly in the digging camp as far as uh, Westworld season two goes. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, I I, I agree 100% that it's, it's a sad state of affairs where just because the whole episode isn't action bang bang, that it, it gets criticized. Like, let's step back and tell the story. How about that? Okay. You got, go ahead and do
0: it. I'm all for it. Yeah. Well, you know what? If you need action, go to see Infinity War. Yes, which you, I will. Oh, you haven't, seen, haven't it seen it yet? I haven't seen it yet, no. Okay. No, nah, we don't really
1: have time, and and it's just been, uh, you know, I haven't really had a chance to get out and see movies. I still haven't, you know, I really, really wanted to see uh, you know, Black Panther, but I never got a chance to see that one. Oh, wow.
0: Um, now, did man. your son see so, it?
1: No, like, it's just, it, it just came out at just this crazy time of the year where, between hockey and everything else, there was just no time to really get out and and see a movie,
0: dude. I'm pretty so. sure you don't have any downtime in your life.
1: Uh, not really. <laughs> you know, between nine and eleven, whenever I go to you know finally go to
0: sleep is per- pretty much it. Yeah, because one sports season for the kids just blends into the next. Yeah. So, Dude right. that. All right. Well, anyway, talking about season two, we're here to talk about Dollhouse. Season 2 episode 6 entitled The Left Hand written by Tracy Balomo who also wrote episode 108 Needs. She wrote two episodes of The 100 including We Are Grounders Part 1 which was just outstanding. As most of the 100 episodes have been directed by Wendy Stansler who directed four episodes of Vampire Diaries, two of Arrow, Vertigo and League of Assassins again, you know one of my favorite episodes I I want to say season two, but I could be wrong on that. And this one aired December fourth, two thousand nine, as the second half of a two-parter continuation of two hundred five. Even though it didn't say to be continued at the end of two hundred five, it was ob- pretty obvious. Right? Yeah. Yep. So, dude, great episode. I mean, it's really. I mean, I mean, we really see where this series could have gone had Joss been given another season. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the heart of it, Adele DeWitt's plan is simply to recover Echo from the D.C. house by whatever means necessary. And that's a phrase that we, we really have seen from DeWitt all along. But we've only seen bits and pieces of the other houses. And here we get a peek inside the D.C. house. And, and- guess who do we
1: find there besides Summer Glad, which is, of course, we do. But Ray Wise. Yeah. Yeah. Who is like the most awesome character actor ever?
0: Yeah, I I mean really. I, I he's one of those guys that you've seen him in a ton of stuff. You just can't place it so you got to go to his IMDb page. Right.
1: Well, I I know what I always think because I loved Reaper. That still that show was it was so good. And uh he was Satan, he was the devil.
0: Oh wow. And uh, he
1: was fantastic. He was just awesome in that role.
0: Now I know you've mentioned Reaper on this podcast several times, although it has been a few years, and I, I remember when you talked about it before, and I got excited and just never really got a chance to take a look at it. So I'm going to write it well, down it's, it's, actually here. Yeah, it's
1: it's so good. It's it's so funny, but uh, it's I like I don't like it's I don't think it's available on Netflix. I, well, I know it's not available on Netflix. I don't it might be available streaming on amazon but it might you might literally have to buy the dvd and i mean dvd the not you have it on blu-ray okay all right but it's so worth it it's like the it was it's just like this gem of a show that it, it's you know not unlike dollhouse you know two great seasons and then that was it you'd be hard-pressed to find a bad episode in those two seasons so
0: cool so, all right, one of the things I love about this episode, yes, it picks up exactly where we left off in the previous episode, but I mean, we know that Echo and the team are in for a challenge, and this opening scene with Caroline still in the chair and Bennett, I mean, why is she inflicting all of this pain on Caroline or is it Echo? And and we get some clarity on I think really the fact that she's inflicting this pain on Caroline. Would you agree? Right. Oh, absolutely. Because she, she says that about, you know, when she talks
1: about, she's not talking about Echo, she's talking about Caroline, how manipulative she is and
0: how she'll mess up your life and everything like that. So she's definitely talking about Caroline. Okay. And then I love her line, when it gets to the why. that's when it gets really bad. And yeah. on the one hand, Look, we've seen Summer Glau in, in a number of roles. And, and, of course, we've said of late, not not enough roles. And I don't want to say that she comes across as sweet because River uh, was right. certainly not sweet. I mean, she was no. – and when I say simple, I, I don't mean intellectually simple, of course, but Dude, just – Well,
1: no, like I, she plays – I think she is the queen of awkward, right? But that's like a great her way. Characters to put it. are like just not quite right. River Tam, not quite right. Uh, I can't remember the name of the the Terminator on Sarah Connor Chronicles. Obviously, not quite right. And then here, uh, Bennett, definitely not quite right. So, um, yeah, and she. I think she, so. She's just great playing like awkward characters like that. You know.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it's socially awkward. That that, and, and and we certainly see that in Spades here. Everything in this episode has ramped up several notches technologically in terms of the dollhouse tech. And now that Bennett has the benefit of Topher's tech, he's also seen what she's done. And Fred in his feedback mentions, we'll get to that later, that he finally got a chance. I can't remember if he says he rewatched Epitaph 1 or if he watched it for the first time. He'll, he'll tell us in his feedback. But obviously, it's a step that gets us to that point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everything that a lot, well, not everything, but a lot of what we've seen in season two has been leading us down that path that we already know, at least those of us who bought the DVDs already. Know. And I still kind of think about that. Like, So there's probably some people who are watching Dollhouse who didn't go out and buy the DVD for season one who never saw Epitaph one. So there's this whole level Of the show that they wouldn't even be catching, but for those of you of who watched Epitaph One, like we see all this stuff, we're like, ah, this is just another step towards
0: the apocalypse, right? Yeah, and you know when I first got Netflix, oh gosh, it's been about six months now. They had Dollhouse season two, not season one, for whatever reason. I don't remember if they had Epitaph two on there or not. But, but yeah, as you say, it would be really interesting to be able to watch season one and season two without knowing Epitaph one and then watching Epitaph right. one and Epitaph two together at the very end, which is really the way you should watch it. I, I think if I was going to recommend to somebody, that would be my recommendation.
1: I, I don't know about that because there's so much that of this season like we said that is you know how we get to epitaph one that you know it's like just brings another level meaning there another level of appreciation we can say and it adds that much more like the fact that topher invents this thing that can wipe dolls remotely if we hadn't seen epitaph one we'd probably say well good for you topher what that's a pretty cool little device you came up with but as it is, we see it, and we're like, "Oh my God, Topher!" Like, we see, you know, again him just going headlong into this and not thinking things out and not seeing the larger implications of what he's doing. You know, we can sit back and 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 like maybe judge him a little bit, but if we didn't have that epitaph, one, well, we'd probably be right there with him, and we wouldn't be able
0: to to have that level of objectivity towards what he's doing. Okay, but now that we've seen the DC House and Bennett Halverson we could ask that question well will each of them take what they've learned from the other and run with it or will caution be the order of the day of course we know caution is not the order of the day but does Topher receive and deserve all of the blame I mean we don't really know for sure how everything got loose right well yeah and and here's
1: what it's starting to look like as how things got loose is that Topher invented this thing. Um, it got out because, um, you know, Ballade, uh dropped it and crazy Cindy picked it up and delivered it to the DC house. And now it's in Bennett Halverson's hands. So while Topher is at this point beginning to develop a conscience and is maybe starting to think about his actions, Bennett Halverson, Clearly has no qualms at all about any of this, and you, we know with the tech in her hands, she's going to run with it. And we saw she weaponized it; like it took her no time at all to weaponize that and turn uh, Perrin into a killer. Right? Sure.
0: I mean, you saw it. So, and, and yeah. The word assassin on the screen was a nice touch.
1: You know, we see right away that the you know the the DC house does not have those pangs of conscience and that they are more than comfortable with taking this tech and using it to create
0: weapons and to use to their own ends. Right. But we wonder if that's something that really is endemic to all of the houses. I mean, even Topher mentions to her tonight that the last time he had an ethical dilemma, it didn't end well.
1: Well, you know, I don't think it, it. it has to be all the houses because once this gets booted up the chain and Rossum,
0: that's, that's it, right? Right. And we've certainly talked about how powerful they are, and certainly we get an inkling of that tonight as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we talked a little bit about Bennett inflicting the pain on whether it's Caroline or Echo, and, and of course, as you said, it, it's it's Caroline. So when and where did Bennett Halverson meet Caroline Farrell? Because I, we get those two, maybe three flashbacks to how she injured her arm, Bennett, of course, raises the question of why to Echo. And, and, you know, I'm thinking, well, what's she referring to? Why did you leave me trapped under the concrete? So, what is this? I mean, is this the original incident that leads Caroline to choosing the dollhouse rather than prison? Yeah. When, when they blow up that lab. Right. Right. We don't
1: know. We, we you know, like we thought we were going to get a nice little flashback there, but nope.
0: Yeah. Because then I start questioning, well, was Bennett a Rossum scientist working in this facility when it was bombed? Or was she with Caroline and the terrorists? I mean, she says they were best friends. So if that's true, how did she end up at Rossum? So they give us a lot, just not enough. But that's okay, because we can speculate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, which is fun to do. Yeah, well, what do you think? If, if you had to pick, which would it be? That that why she ended up at Rossum? Well, it's, was she part of Caroline's terrorist group yeah. and got oh. caught in the... Um,
1: you know, I, I can actually speculate because I, I, I remember that they knew... Well, obviously, we, they knew each other, but I can't really remember what the connection was. I would speculate to say that. You know, well, she got hurt, obviously, like there, like her arm was wrenched out, like the nerves are broken, I guess, whatever, I'm not even sure what the deal is with that, but so I would say, you know, that they were doing something that would be physical, so I maybe she was part of the terrorist group, that's what I'm going with, Okay. And, and final answer.
0: Well, and that's what I would say as well, because of that statement she makes about Caroline really pushing people to do things they didn't really want to do. And we saw that in, in that episode in season one where she's with her boyfriend and, and you know, the other two people, that she really is the instigator that, that gets things going. So you, you could see she has that personality. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that as well. Now, we received some clarity regarding how much of the person remains after an imprint. You know, we, we've wondered, is echo special as we've been told all along? Well, well, certainly there is a certain special element there, but we learned that Perrin's base brain map is left intact, which right. s- surprises Topher, which he's difficult to surprise with these kinds of things.: Yeah, which is which is right different.
1: like he, so he was never like completely white. But they just, but they're still
0: imprinting him, so he's not who he was before. Yeah, I mean, she just tweaks it to give Rossum what it needs, which ultimately we learn is an eventual presidential candidate sympathetic to the Rossum cause. But it, it kind of comes out in the open when the two brain maps are up there first it's parent's brain map and he's amazed at it. it's like oh my god the work here you, you yeah. must have taken this and and then they put up echoes and it's almost like a stick figure <laughs> wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and that's difficult yeah. to do for Topher uh you know we know that I love later when Echo is worried about what will happen if Caroline comes back and on the one hand, it makes it sound like somebody suffering from multiple personality disorder, which I guess in one sense, she is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, totally, actually.
1: Because we know they're, they're all
0: in there, right? Right. But you, know, what is it about Echo? I mean, is that the base personality or as opposed to the original personality? It's, right, as opposed
1: to Caroline, right? Um. Yeah. Well, I. I think at this point, especially since we've seen Caroline as like just a downloaded memory, like they put in the little girl in Epitaph One, right? That uh, I, I think the Echo is the is the person. Caroline is one of the many, you know, personalities that are rolling around inside of Echo, but that the base personality would be Echo. Okay, Uh,
0: so that echo in effect has taken over this body so why is she worried if caroline comes comes back is it that she's afraid caroline will usurp the control that she has which is ironic because that was caroline's personality and and it sounds as if it's in part echoes as well which i guess on the one hand isn't surprising
1: yeah um no not, not not surprising at all um, yeah, but just to, to be worried about Caroline taking over, I mean, that, yeah, that seems like a
0: legitimate concern, right? Yeah. Now I, I love the scene with Cindy Perrin who, because we talked about what it must've been like for her the past three years. She makes it clear tonight, disgusted, bored. Oh, it feels good to get that out. <laughs> but I think the highlight of the episode I think, in terms of the fun aspect of things, is the relationship between Topher and Bennett because it gets explored a little bit. They're obviously attracted to each other, physically and intellectually. But right. as you said, he's as awkward as she is. I, I don't right. know who to. If I had to pick one, who's more awkward? I you know, they're
1: they're both really awkward, but. You know, Topher might be slightly more, but uh but they're still both. It's funny because they're geeking out over each other, right? Right. Like he's just like, oh, I'm going to be Ben Halverson, and we see before she meets Topher, she like looks in the mirror and like adjusts her hair and everything. Um So she is clearly as geeking out about Topher as Topher's geeking out about her. So it's very funny uh, with how how that works. And but it, it stops being funny pretty soon, though, like after not too
0: long. Well, it does. Now, it's interesting that while he knows Bennett Halverson is a woman because he refers to, you know, looking for her, the fact that he never thought to go on the Internet and perhaps see what this person whose work he has Im- admired already yeah. What this person looks like? I, look, I do that all the time, as I'm sure most people do. Do you know? I wonder what that person looks like, and you you know you Google their name, and and, and you find out. But I don't do that. Oh, come on, weirdo. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> we've really never seen Topher in any kind of a uh, romantic. Not that there's romance here, but but even like a having a crush on somebody. I mean, we we have that one episode. Where once a year, I can't remember if it's on his birthday or not that he has Sierra imprinted to basically just be a buddy, yeah, it's almost like a a female bro, and right you know we we don't know that it goes any any further than just hanging out,
1: yeah I don't- I, I know we talked about it at the time. I, I can't remember what we said, but I seem to remember thinking, like, I think it's just the, the hang out part and not the, you know, anything further than that. But you're right. That's But that's the closest we've seen to him actually bonding with another person, unless maybe we count, like, you know, Topher, who is uh, around the bend in Epitaph 1 and his relationship with DeWitt in, in
0: that episode. Yeah. Because, I mean, when... Bennett finds out that Topher is in the DC house one of the first things she does is fix her hair and make sure she looks the way she wants to look before she meets him so it's certainly reciprocal but obviously we haven't seen nearly as much of her as we have of Topher so you know that was pretty interesting but the other thing that gets mentioned because we learn that the idea here is for Perrin to ultimately run for president. And I forget who it is that says it. Well, this isn't the first time a president was manufactured. I wonder who they're referring to. I, I, the first name that comes out to, to me is J- John F. Kennedy because his father, I think you could argue, really manufactured him. I mean, not that Kennedy wasn't a brilliant guy and, and all of that, Right. Well, no, well, just
1: because his brother was supposed to be the president, right? But he was killed in World War II, so right. you know, John was like next man up. So you you saw that episode? I'm, I'm just taking this break here. Now we're talking about JFK. So you saw the uh, episode of "Timeless" with him, right? I haven't. I'm I'm too behind already. Oh, you haven't? Oh, Okay. All right. So all right. All right. We'll talk later. It, it was a. There was, there's a big emotional part to that episode, even though I was, you know, born, um, you know, seven years after he was killed. Um, yeah, there's still a, a, an emotional tug there, but we'll talk about it later. You okay. get go watch it, man. Get caught up.
0: Come on. Okay, I'll try. Now, uh, the other thing that comes to mind, though, as we learn that Perrin likely will become president at some point is this the beginning of the end is this that that monumental step that rossum is taking of total control and and the answer seems to be yes at this point so yeah absolutely at the end of this
1: you were just like rossum totally won yep. like we thought we were going to win you know we thought we were going to get a w uh, or at least a tie but no rossum just slam dunked this baby home
0: Yeah. And and we certainly learned last time that they needed a senator. He had the pedigree. He had the name. They just needed to tweak his personality, which is, of course, what they did. But here the plan is to have him exonerate Rossum at the Senate hearings today. Things are not going as planned, which, of course, is what makes the ending so amazing, because it's not what we expect at all you know and and fred's going to mention his feedback so i don't want to jump ahead with with fred too much uh and and get things he's going to say you know out in the open i'll let him speak for himself but that scene when tofer and dewitt are in the limo going to dc and of course he's like a kid in i I know kid in a candy store whatever analogy you want to use but it, that's that, good but he, he's very excited
1: he's never been in a limo before and so for him this is all new he wants to push all the buttons and things like that and smell all the bottles of whiskey
0: and i i love when he says uh, can he have a drink absolutely not yeah. but but that <laughs> idea of not going outside of his comfort zone and, and we understand i mean his comfort zone is that playroom that that he's got back at the dollhouse in la we also learn and i think he he mentions this to bennett that he's basically been working four levels below ground in the dollhouse and and you know i mean we've known that for a while so we don't know what the three levels above him are. are are those dollhouse related companies businesses or are they just empty floors i mean we don't really know maybe there's well nothing. it could be uh, the, the heretics and the you know like could be the attic yeah you know, like the
1: yeah right yeah i was going with a divine comedy reference there oh, oh okay it didn't work out so well
0: sorry no oh, that's okay <laughs> um you know we, we talked a little bit about the arm injury and i mean is this all about revenge for bennett that seems like it a little bit i mean i mean she's still got to do her job and we talked last time about the differences in approach i mean just the difference in the office that each of them occupies they they both certainly do the same job it's interesting that there does seem to be a certain amount of autonomy with the programmer at each house which well yeah
1: because the that they rely so much on that person and, and what
0: that person can do, right? Yeah. But but it seems to me that you would want to have more of a, a sharing system set up. You know, in other words, that if uh, the programmer at our L.A. house has you know come up with a disruptor, shouldn't every house have a disruptor? Sure. Well, unless they're coming up with a disruptor
1: kind of on the DL, you know. Which is what Topher did, but but yeah, you're, you're right. Like it shouldn't be such a oh, you have this stuff, and you like this complete. Like, why is he so surprised at the work that Halverson was able to do on Parent's Brain? Right, you're well, absolutely right. You think in a, in a a good corporate setting, that information gets shared among all the different subsidiaries
0: of the corporation. Yeah, I, I mean, why wouldn't you? I I don't know. I mean, Harding it seems to be the the highest level executive that we've met find it hard to believe from what we've seen of him that he doesn't know what's going on in each house so for whatever reason he feels that's more beneficial to the whole to let everybody do their own thing and who knows doesn't seem to make sense in retrospect there there were a lot of really cool glances and looks in this episode and once Topher gets into Bennett's office area and and we know what he wants to do he wants to establish a link to topher 2.0 and i'll I'll get to enver Jokai in a second Uh, and the way he does it is so slick that we almost think he's let his fascination with this attractive young woman uh, i guess get in the way of his mission and then all of a sudden you see oh i see what he's doing and and you see that look that DeWitt gives him the little smile that, dude, that was awesome. And it was. <laughs> I don't yeah,
1: realize. yeah, no, right, exactly. Because we think he's geeking out, he's forgetting about why he's there, but nope, he was on point the whole time.
0: Right, of course, so,
1: wh- so was Halverson.
0: All right, so wh- what about Enver Jokai? Oh my God.
1: Just awesome. It literally was like, like you could close your eyes. And it's just two Fran Kranzes playing, you know. Yeah. Well, and, maybe not Clojacks. I know that the, the, the voice wasn't exactly right, but like the inflection and the movement and everything, it was just too perfect.
0: Well, at first I had to really sit down and listen, wondering whether they just had Fran Kranz voiceover but no that was enver Jokai, and and yeah oh it was just amazing and and, and again i like what he set it up that oh yeah i left my best man in charge but yeah. <laughs> and, right. and and i love I, it was no, and i love the fact that he does refer to as 1.0 and 2.0 right and, and then poor boyd has to talk 2.0 down as he's getting excited yeah. and, he, and you just know that boyd just wants to turn around and run and just... All right, he's probably thinking,
1: you know, I thought I was going to get a break
0: here with for
1: being out of town for a couple of days, but no. Yeah. yeah. You could yeah. almost see like he just was picturing that. Just a couple of days. A couple of days I could have gotten, so... Yeah.
0: Now, we mentioned the awkwardness that both of them exhibit. What's up with your arm? Yeah. <laughs> and... Again, I love because it's a few minutes later when I guess he realizes because he's thinking like, all right, I wonder, you know, does she like me? You know, do I get, have an in here? Did I blow it? And he mentions the arm and him bringing it up. And she says, no, actually, it's refreshing.
1: Right. Though she's walking away with a weird look on her face as she says that. But but she kind of has a weird look on her face all the time, I guess. So, um, you know, we kind of take it for what it is that, yeah, like she can appreciate that he's just being open and honest, right? And not trying to be rude and But on the other hand, he is like a kid, right? We've we've mentioned numerous times how Topher has these childlike qualities. And this is classic, right? A kid would look at someone like that and say, Hey, what happened to your arm? Where well, adults would be just like shh, you know, shushing them and saying, Stop it and and, you know, I, like even though we're all wondering the same thing, right? Obviously, anyone who meets her is going to wonder in their head. Their first question is going to be, what's up with the arm? But as, quote, unquote, adults, we don't actually say that because we're afraid of being rude or impolite or making someone else feel bad. So we just keep our mouths shut. But like an innocent, a little kid or someone who's
0: open like Topher is just going to totally go and blow out, uh, blurt out that uh, that question. Yeah, and for her, I guess people have been dancing around it for, I guess years, at at this point. So, right now, the other thing, you know, Lippman, who's the head of the DC, uh, what's the guy's name again? You mentioned the character actor. I oh, already forgot his name. Ray Wise. Right. He asks DeWitt why she came all this way for one active, and and of course that's pretty good question and he tells her i think maybe you're gonna have to walk away from this one you've got no cards adele which then leads me to wonder because we certainly know that the la house has had its share of problems most of which stem from alpha but echo's not making things any easier either do none of the other houses have problems you would think they do Who's calling the shots here is it is it above him is it somebody like Harding? but what's Adele's reaction because she's really put on the spot here We think she's at first coming on to him to get what yeah. she wants, hand she in his grabs pants his nuts oh man, that was i mean
1: it was awesome <laughs> yeah well because and there's there's so many and this is like how many levels there are to Adele DeWitt, right because she is a woman in what is, quote-unquote, a man's world, right? Especially um, top-level CEO jobs is a boys' club, right? And she knows this. She's trying—and shes we've already seen her being kind of, you know, bullied about by some of the, the, the males. And so it seems like another occasion where this guy is going to, you know, kind of assert his masculinity over her. And she counters that with what he would expect— that she's going to try and use sex to get what she wants, but oh no. Like, let's see literally who has the balls out of the two of these.
0: And the answer is DeWitt. Yeah. Yeah. No question. I mean, it was a great scene and a scene that follows it up, which I don't want to say that we never see Topher, you know, exhibiting balls because we don't see him usually placed in those kinds of positions, but he's talking to Bennett and and he finds out that she knows about the disruptor. In fact, she calls it the disruptor and he wonders how she knew that's what it was called. Well, you know, of course we know that she's got more information at her disposal than anybody realizes. And then they have that little conversation about Well, he he basically takes a disruptor and surreptitiously turns it on her. (laughs) Yeah. And did you just just... like were you trying to tase me? Right, and we know what he's doing, and to his credit, I guess. Although you could argue, well, he got caught red-handed. What's he gonna do? He tells her the truth about what they did with uh, whiskey. So you know there is that, And, and as he said. Well, well, she says first, well, actives are beautiful. And there's your opening, dude. Yep. Yep. And he didn't do too bad with it. Yep. And he and he said
1: the, oh, but you're too perfect. He got that line in, too. So, you know, I thought he, overall he did pretty well with that one.
0: All right. And then the phone rings. Her message to him, you got the girl. Well, <laughs> and we're thinking like, all right, well, I, we know she means echo, but... did he he also get this girl but of course course no because the two of them uh hash it out as the episode goes on but then Perrin i mean his waking up because we've talked all during the course of dollhouse about echo in particular waking up from the state that she's been in but Perrin is waking up as well and and tells echo they've got to go and for for a bit there he kind of takes control as it's almost as if Echo can't get her bearings quickly enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I I don't know, like Echo, like this whole
1: episode is like kind of weird because she's like, sometimes she seems like, like we don't know anymore, like what is really going on? Like before we always knew like, oh, when she was Echo, she was this doll state and she was like vulnerable and everything and then, but when she's, Yeah, when they put like a personality in her and then she's strong and she kicks ass and everything. And then she gets like all these personalities dumped into her. And then we're like, what is going on? So like, whereas Adele feels that she is alone and helpless, you know, I'm like, well, is she really? I'm
0: not so sure she's alone and helpless, you know? Now you mean Echo. Echo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and and in terms of, helpless you know Bennett obviously anything but again that scene where she bashes her head her forehead into the glass window and then claims that Echo attacked her which interestingly doesn't seem to freak out Topher almost as if okay yeah I I can see that I I guess he has enough experience imprinting Echo but but then we see Echo and Perrin on the street and we've talked about this seems to be about revenge in part for bennett she imprints herself at least part of herself i guess her physical self so that echo aka caroline can feel what i'm feeling with the dead arm right and for a while you you know you see echo's got that arm hanging limp by her side but right after a while it it I forget if something happens. I yeah, I'm not sure. It just seems like
1: one minute it's like she's she's just holding it, and it's useless. And then oh, was it when he was like trying to kill her or something? Maybe I think it might happen. I can't remember exactly. Well, it's right- but yeah, there's definitely time when it flips.
0: Yeah, I mean it's that's right before they go into the bathroom, take their shirts off, and yeah cut out their GPS tags. It's totally tags. necessary. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're going
1: to cut the GPS tags off. You got to do it in a bra. It's oh, just, oh. Of
0: course. It's like required. So they, they do that. And then, you know, again, as if we don't have enough going on in this episode, we've got Madeline to still consider, and we see her taken into the Senate chamber by parents' wife just so she can get comfortable to know what to expect. Yeah, there'll be a couple dozen photographers. Uh, pay them no mind, and you see the look on Madeline's face that that she's just terrified, and and you understand. Of course, then she has to send her team to track them down, then goes to the bathroom, finds the GPS devices. On the sink. I'm not sure why you wouldn't at least maybe throw them in the trash can, but whatever.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Madeline is she is definitely the the tragic victim in this whole story because she's the one in the end who really, uh, you know, things really turn out badly for her. You know, she thought she was free and clear, and now she's back into it, and now she's probably never gonna leave the dollhouse ever right right sure and and so it's just just terrible you know like she because she's always been like the innocent the sweet innocent even when she was like killing guys and breaking their necks and stuff we still see her as a victim and as an innocent and um you know that really gets nailed home at the end of this one
0: yeah um and what also becomes increasingly clear is that there are only four hours until the Senate hearing and Echo and Perrin are on the run and if Perrin doesn't show up to do his part as Lippman tells DeWitt we'll be bunk buddies in the attic which is maybe the best line in the the whole episode but it just reinforces how important Perrin is to the overall plan the other thing that confused me a little bit because after we see Perrin and Echo on the run the next thing we see they're wearing different clothes she's got you know a nice outfit on sweater around her shoulders tied and and he mentions this is the house he grew up in so i'm wondering is it did they go to his parents house did they go to the house he lives in with his wife i mean i guess it doesn't really right
1: well you know like when the all all the claims like when they like we're we're going to the Congress right now for the the Senate hearing, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot they're in D.C. because like the exteriors are all totally California, right? Like, oh yeah, definitely L.A. There's there's no part of D.C. that looks like anything in this episode, so I like completely forgot that they were in D.C. until that very end there. Um, that being said, it could be anywhere, right? Like he says, it's oh, I grew up here. This is my parents' house, but like, it could it could be they could have imprinted that in you. Like, that's that's
0: so not necessarily the truth, dude. Well, that well, that's true. He flashes at this scene to his wife, convincing him to run for office. We get a little bit of you know when they met for the first time at the party, which of course was a meeting that I'm sure was set up by Rossum. I know exactly where I am and who I'm talking to, his wife tells him. And now he's got this problem that he doesn't know what's real and what's not. And I guess on the one hand, he doesn't have Echo's experience dealing with these kinds of things, but he is a quick study. He does, for somebody that was presented as this party boy who really was shiftless, had no future he's catching on pretty quickly now you could argue that that's you know because of the imprinting the imprinting right that that they gave him and it's actually backfiring to a certain extent but he's ready to charge ahead bring down rossum we can expose them and she tells him then we can be who we are okay whatever that Mm -hmm. actually means we're not yeah, sure.
1: Sounds good. Because, well, because you're literally like nothing, right? Like what you, what you are is a, a, a Bennett keeps calling Carolina
0: Shell, right? Right. And, and then of course this is that that scene with Echo. Uh, I'm sorry, this scene with Topher and Bennett where she tells him, "Well, I know you hacked my system, and you know so now the truth is coming out." He says, "Well, are we even then? <laughs> no, not even <laughs> close." But she tells him that Caroline and yeah. Echo are one and the same. Pretty telling. I mean, we've talked about that yeah. tonight, but to have her articulate it, I, I think, is pretty cool. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And like I said, I mean, that's kind of like uh, one of the big questions at the end of this is, you know, what is Echo slash Caroline? You know, um, and you know, we as you mentioned before, like that that question who who's in control? Is the Echo the one in control, or is it Caroline in control of the body? And um, yeah, there's all kinds of questions that are not answered at the end of this one. Yeah,
0: now I mean, we go through you know a, a scene of about maybe four or five minutes. The two Topher's are working to fix things. Echo's got to evade Parent, who's now turned into an assassin, and 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 all of that. But we make it to the Senate hearing. Karen walks well, before,
1: in. well, before we do that, because I mean, at that part, you know, Cindy is chasing him and she is under the impression that he's in like some kind of doll state where he's very manageable as he has always been, right? Oh, because she starts sweet talking him. Right, right. And it, it turns out badly wrong for her, right? Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Now, does she kill him? I, I mean, does he kill her? Yeah, he kills her, right? Okay. okay, I wasn't sure if, you know, I know he was you know, choking. Yeah, her. right. Well,
1: then he's like, she's dead, she's dead. You know, because he gets, like, Topher kind of zaps him again, but it's too late. By that point, he's already choked her and she, she's dead.
0: Right. And in fact, Echo tells him that he didn't kill her, they did, meaning, you know, this is all Rossum's doing. So we get to the Senate hearing, he walks in tells the crowd his wife is dead he was looking for a conspiracy and he found one and we're thinking okay here we go no Rossum is the victim here of these other devious medical research companies we're thinking oh you what does this mean
1: right I was just like wait what like hold on that's not what you were supposed to say so at what the
0: opposite of well what happened I mean at what point did Bennett get her hand on see what i did there oh no i see what you did there. that's not nice (laughs) when did she get a chance to right so again we're back to the remote imprinting i mean we talk about a remote wipe and and certainly she remotely put on that little assassin tag so we assume she did something remotely i mean or, or just something behind the scenes that we didn't see but right well they did
1: the first time so there's no reason why they couldn't do it again
0: right 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 and and you know we know time is of the essence so it's not as if he had time to go back to the dollhouse have her do her things points out that madeline is actually a victim and we're thinking okay but no you know there is no dollhouse she's been in a mental institution for three years and it's like can anything else happen to this poor young woman? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: you know, Ballard uh, tried to warn her off, right? He said this was, was what's going to happen. And she said, you know, basically, I, shouldn't I have the choice? If I'm free, shouldn't I be given the choice to do what I want to do? And he had to admit, yes, you do have that choice, but this is a bad choice. There's so much going on that she didn't know. Like she didn't know that Perrin was actually a doll, right? I mean, there's certain things that if she knew, maybe she might have gotten out, but she just didn't know. But Ballard did warn her and tell her to, to get out and to just drop this whole thing, and she didn't want to. She wanted to take a stand. She wanted to do what she felt was right.
0: Yeah, and that's understandable, but you know, this is the this is the result. So... Boyd and DeWitt realize that Echo's still missing. We see that scene where Topher's ready to wipe 2.0, and and, and Boyd verbalizes what we've suspected all along, that Rossum, through Parents going to be able to write its own legislation. Topher realizes that Bennett was able to step up Parents' political acumen, and that's when the whole idea of, oh, they're grooming him to be president. And then right. they fear... That Echo's lost in the world, while in a doll state, helpless. And of course, we've seen this before, and that's just not the case. And it's understandable that they're worried about her. There's no question, but helpless. There's been no evidence that Echo's been helpless. In my recollection, maybe there's one. But but
1: they don't. They don't know that, though. You know, like they don't know what she's capable of. They don't know that she's not really. She hasn't really gone back to the doll state ever. Well, not ever, but, you know, since she's kind of woken up. You know, they don't know she's keeping notes on the inside of her her sleeping thing or whatever. Um, so, you know, so as far as they know, she is just a helpless doll. But as far as we know, that, that is definitely
0: not the case. Right. And, and, of course, that that final scene where Echo's walking alone on a busy street, we're wondering, well, is it Caroline Or is it Echo? Is it some sort of combination? Uh, I mean, do the different personalities keep each other company? But that comes on the heels of the scene with Madeline and Bennett, so that it appears that the DC house has Madeline, which is a shame. And and whether or not Mm -hmm. DeWitt is going to be able to pull some sort of a deal to get madeline to her house in la because I, certainly i think she feels a certain responsibility for her still that's you know perhaps the, the the saddest thing of all that is is watching what ultimately happens to her so yeah absolutely um so anything else before we listen to fred's comments uh no. i think we did a pretty effective job of on this
2: one dave yeah i agree so all
0: right well let's hear what fred has to say and then we'll come back
2: Hello Dave and Wayne, this is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Dollhouse Season 2, Episode 6. This is the last episode I have watched before, so from next episode onward, all will be really new to me. First off, I want to thank you for last week's podcast about the pilot of Lost in Space. I've seen the first three episodes in the meanwhile, and I have to say, I'm really starting to like this series. Okay, the dollhouse episode called "The Left Hand." My first topic is three women, women being vicious, and in decreasing order, starting with the most awful one. How pure, sadistic, empathyless Bennett Alveson, played by Summer Glau, is in the opening scene. Whoa, Bennett to Echo, "You're like this void, this feeble, simple world." just pain, over and over, no reason, no end, no in-between, and you can't even pass out, we shut down everything that stands between you and blinding, searing pain. In the next scene, Cindy is not much less wicked, telling the poor senator how she disgusted the years she had spent with him, and then Miss DeWitt tells Tover to get out of his comfort zone. Tover, I don't like going outside of my comfort zone, which says, uh, our one and only chance for discovering Rossum's plan is to pull it from the senator's brain scan. There is no margin for error, so I would suggest that you expand your comfort zone immediately. Victor playing Tover is gold again. And for cocky, I really can pull these kinds of things off, like he did in Kiki and Terry in episode 3 of this uh, season of Dollhouse. I get a lot more respect for this actor than I just had by knowing him as Daniel Sousa in the first four episodes of Agent Carter. I paused watching, uh, watching Agent Carter because I like the show and Haley Atwell playing Agent Carter just too much. I didn't want to squander it. I was predicting last podcast that Adele DeWitt would pull off a serious catfight. <laughs> but I didn't think she would go for Lipman's balls. Bennett and Tover together is just so adorable. Although they both have, the one more than the other, an artistic and disturbed brain. As a geneticist, I liked, of course, the DNA model in Bennett's lab. Uh, furthermore, I also liked the architecture of the building in which Bennett's lab is, but you only see it for a few seconds. I didn't see it coming that Bennett would smash her head and did it quite first fiercely. Uh, it really, it really startled me. Startled me. A nitpick. I assume Echo and Perrin get partly undressed in that restaurant's bathroom so they won't spoil blood on their clothes, in order not to attract attention later. Then this silly guy wipes the knife clean on his trousers. Or perhaps, is there another reason why they got half naked? A more visually audience-pleasing reason, perhaps? I like to fight in the glass house, especially the plant spray and the kick through the glass door, by Echo. The last shot is very strange, we see Echo cross the road at a traffic light. We can see that Eliza Dushku is not the largest person, but what it made it look strange is this oversized baggy trousers Echo is wearing, making her look like a dwarf, Uh, sorry, which more correctly would be a person of short and disproportionate stature. I wanted to give this episode 8.5 out of 10 but we will give it nine because of Summer Glau's sublime performance. By the way, I did my homework and rewatched Epitaph 1. So, when you're referring to it again, I can at least understand it better. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands.
0: All right, I, you know, I, I love how he, he zeroes in on the vicious women. Bennett, in the opening scene we talked about, that was just downright cruel w- inflicting the pain to to caroline but when we see the flashbacks we, we get some understanding of it cindy telling her husband how disgusted she's been being yeah. close to him yeah yeah that was pretty intense but
1: That's a, it's not necessarily i mean yeah it's kind of vicious but you know like really that that's that's a that's a rough assignment you
0: know well it does like
1: to pretend you love someone like i don't like honestly like that's actually what they want to mention before like i i just feel like she's not that good of it i'm not saying the actress isn't a good actress but the character isn't a good actress to like be able to you know i mean you've been married for a long time i've been married for you know you know that when you're annoyed with your your spouse it, it's you don't you're not really able to hide it very well you know like, it's not like you play it off. And so I I just don't buy the, you know, like, you disgust me. But, yeah, I've been able to pose as your wife for years now, and I don't know. I don't buy it. I never get annoyed at my wife.
0: Okay, it's just me then, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to play her that part <laughs> after. Uh... <laughs> um, but the the one thing I, I disagree with Fred a little bit is the characterization of Adele DeWitt being vicious, by telling Topher that he's got to expand his comfort zone. I mean, they're in a tough spot. And I think even Topher realizes it, you know, for all his, you know, boyhood wonder in the back of a limo, what else can she tell him? You know, dude, you got to do it. There's just no other option.
1: Well, here is Adele, the mom, right? She, she really takes on, and we, we saw in epitaph one, how she's taking care of Topher there. So, we already know that that exists, and, and now we see more is like that parental uh, kind of attitude she has towards Topher. And this is just like, listen, kid, it's time to grow up, and it's time for you to, to be a man. And here's what big people do they don't hide away in in little rooms, they go out and they, they take care of business out in the real world.
0: And so, while you could consider that vicious, but that's basic, it's parenting 101. Right, y'all, no question. So, All right, now, Fred mentions Enver Jokai playing Victor, playing Topher as gold. And one of the things that, and we've mentioned it from time to time, Eliza Dushku playing all of these different characters during the course of the series, Enver Jokai, Deech Lockman, who we haven't seen for a few episodes. Those three in particular, I think really show us what, outstanding acting chops each has and, and like we said tonight you know victor playing Topher great. was just, so, was just good. Awesome. so good so right, now, good fabulous now fred also mentions I, I assume fred you you mean the realism of bennett's lab and, and you mentioned the dna model in particular and, and personally i always love when people that really know what they're talking about can point out that, yeah, that, that's really what it would look like. Or conversely, it's like, oh, come on, that would never, yeah. <laughs> never happen. So, right. uh, I mean, certainly some of the things we saw in this episode were pretty cool. Fred's nitpick, Perrin wiping his knife on the pants. And this comes on the heels of them, as we said, taking their shirts off to cut the GPS uh, devices out. We presume they took the shirts off so they wouldn't get blood. And then he just wipes the blood on his pants. Okay. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I I know this made you happy. He was going to give this episode eight point five out of ten, but it goes up to nine because of Summer Glau. Summer Glau. Yeah. Yeah. Who I I have stopped referring to as the first
1: lady of sci-fi, but I am still a big fan of hers. And um, and you know she was really really good. And, and of course she brings um she's got that sci-fi cred where when she's in when she does a one-off or a cameo in a sci-fi episode she lends a lot of authority and authenticity to that yeah so.
0: i just i just don't understand we've talked about this before i don't understand why she doesn't work more unless perhaps she doesn't want to work more and that perhaps she might, she's doing yeah, something she else want to, right because right. she's just great and well, why don't,
1: just, why, why
0: don't you just like, stalk her? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't. She doesn't even have an online presence. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I already tried.
1: Well, so, I mean, she's...
0: Maybe but she's I was doing like it for a... you. It wasn't for me. Right. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Dave. Okay. So, all right. Well, uh, I, I'm going full on A on this one. And I know I went A- minus last week. And I, I really hovered over whether or not to go full on A, what are you going with this week? Uh,
1: I I'm giving it an A minus, okay. which I don't really not sure why. Except for before my first watch, I was thinking like B plus, and then um, and then after talking about it, I realized I got to up my grade. But I'm not going to up it two levels. I'm just going to go up one. So.
0: Okay. I mean, for me, there's so much in it in terms of the technology and you know sending us in a direction that because we've seen epitaph one we know where it leads i mean the acting was just you know the exchange between Topher and bennett the exchange between Topher and Topher. Uh, just there was just so much in this one that uh yeah i'm gonna go full on a so uh, what, so
1: actually okay so while we're because i, I did do a quick stalking of summer glow uh just you know, Basically by reading, reading her Wikipedia page. And I know exactly why she's not working right now. Okay. So the, the last time she really did a film or, or anything, it looks like, it was about 2015. Um, she did a castle one-off in 2016. But she's got two kids now. She had her first baby in 2015. She just had another one that just this past October. Okay. So she's being a mom. Okay. That's why she's not working. So hats off to you, Summer Glau. I might now re- reinsert you now as First Lady sci-fi for taking some time off to uh, not that women need to take I'm not saying that ladies relax i'm not saying that but uh, you know just to for any parent guy girl whatever to take time off to uh to really bond with your kids thumbs up
0: and i'm trying of course, to rem- people
1: like us can't afford to do it but you
0: know <laughs> yep so all right well it's interesting to know certainly happens in the industry so we'll 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 leave it there you know that's going to do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch we want to thank you for joining us love to hear what you think about anything that's going on in genre television join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community if you're already a member spread the word emails go to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails via the speak pipe tab which you can access through the website And we'll be back next week to talk about Dollhouse Season 2, Episode 7, titled Meet Jane Doe. But until then.
1: I got a quick message for Elena out here. And Elena, you know this is the truth. You were a nobody before we found you.